I've said this, I think, now four times in a row. If you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know his story, start with the Gospel of Mark. You'll get most of the story. If you want to know a lot of his teaching, go to the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in Matthew chapter 5, and it begins with the Beatitudes, which Christy just read for us again. And it ends, really, with the, the parable of the person who built their house on the rock, not on the sand. And Jesus says that the, the one who listens to my commandments and follows them, my teachings and follows them, is the one who builds their house on the rock and not the sand. That when the, when the storms come, that that house will stand. And so it's an interesting, it's about, it's three chapters, three pretty long chapters. We're pretty sure that, um, again, this is Summer on the Mount, because at the beginning of it, it says Jesus went up on the mountain and his disciples followed him and he taught them. In, in Luke, there's a similar grouping of, of teachings that where it says Jesus went down to a level place and so it's called the Sermon on the Plain, just so that if you're ever reading those and you start to hear the echoes of them, you'll understand that Luke and Matthew both pulled together these similar teachings in, in, in one section. And so we started off with, with the Beatitudes and I think the Beatitudes really are sort of the umbrella or the undergirding of, of all of these teachings, and they're not easy to understand. Or, as I talked about last week, I think Jesus in some ways in his teachings is trying to open up our thinking, to, to move us away from the way that we lock onto things and the way that we think things are to show us the way the kingdom is, or the way the kingdom we ought to be living in the kingdom. And so this week, you're going to hear something, again, quite famous from the Sermon on the Mount. So listen to this word from Jesus. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Civility has gotten a bit of a bad rap recently, hasn't it? We've taken a word that used to mean being patient and kind with people, listening to them, using appropriate language with them, um, hearing their concerns and seeking to work together and we've turned it into something negative which means that you somehow rolled over and didn't stand up for your principles. Um, this is the, the bad rap that civility uh, has gotten uh, especially in our politics lately but I think that also has either bled up or bled down from the way that we've been living with one another over the past however long. I don't know when you want to say that some of this started but the way that we do it. And I think it was uh, incredibly present, the incivility that our politicians have been showing one another at the State of the Union address. And 
it wasn't any, and I'm not going to talk about anything that the President Trump said, but it was more what he did and what the leader of the Democrats did to each other. One, he did not shake her hand as is customary and civil and, and expected in that situation. And then at the end, when he handed her, his speech to her, which, which is custom and, and supposed to be done, she ripped it in half on national television. I mean, what kind of example is this for the dialogue in our country? If our two top leaders, those who we have elected to lead us, whether we agree with their politics or not, for them to act like children with each other. I think we're called to something much higher than that. I think we're called to something much better than that. And right here, I think this is where Jesus is going to challenge us a little bit. Because those two probably see each other as enemies. Am I right? On opposite sides of the political aisle, one's male, one's female. You know, there's all kinds of other things that could be going on there. But they've been elected to these high positions in the land and now it seems like they feel like their job is to, is to just be angry and mean to each other. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Could you imagine Nancy Pelosi going on national television and saying, you know, every day when I wake up, I pray for our president. I pray for his health. I pray for his family. I pray for his wisdom. I pray for his leadership. And vice versa. What if President Trump said the same thing about other people who he feels are enemies? What kind of message might that send to a country that seems like it's more and more at odds with each other? We're being told that we're being torn apart more and more and more. What kind of message might that send? And yet I think sometimes our leaders are just a reflection of us. A reflection of how we do things, of the anger that's bubbling up inside of us, of the confusion that we have about what's really going on in the world. And I believe that Jesus has come not to give us the assurance, you know, that, that here's how you live your best life now, but to challenge the rules of the world to challenge the ways that we normally interact with one another and to turn them on our head so that we might become something different, that we might embody the ethics of the kingdom. And as Donald Hagner says, a biblical commentator says, the practice of love is the most fundamental element of the Christian ethic. The practice of love. We're not talking about warm and fuzzy feelings. Right? You don't have to necessarily like somebody in order to show them care, to show them civility if we want to go back and try to reclaim that word, which is probably lost by now. You don't have to like somebody to pray for them. And in fact, from my own life, I'll tell you some of the most powerful times where when somebody has, has come at me, when somebody has tried to destroy something that I've built, something that, that I owned, has tried to destroy and break apart my family, the most powerful thing I've ever done 
is to pray for them. Maybe the hardest thing, or one of the hardest things I've ever done, to pray for them. To pray that they might be given wisdom in the Spirit of God, that they might be given peace, that they might be given healing, that they might be given whatever it is that God knows that they need. It breaks me out of my thinking that I know what God is up to in the world and what my role was supposed to be, and it breaks me open to the incoming reign of God and to what God wants for us. What God wants for God's children. And I love this, the end of this. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? I mean, that's just a basic thing, right? You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You do something for me, I do something for you. I mean, it's not a bad thing, but we're called to something different. We're called to something higher. We, we're, we are called, I think, to what we used to call the high road, to seek to be as civil and as caring and as loving as we can, even in the face of people who would demean us, who would scream at us, who would persecute us, who would say that we are evil, who would say that we're not doing the right things, that we are called to take up a different position. Not that we just absorb all of that and just say, oh, just whatever. I mean, turn the other cheek, right? I mean, keep it coming, whatever. That's fine. But I'm not going to respond with that. I'm not going to respond with hatred. Because as Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And when we love in this way, here's the interesting thing. It sort of turns our enemies on their head too because they don't get to determine how we treat them. Because in general, what I find is people who want to pick a fight, they want you to fight because that's what they know. They want you to get riled up. They want you to come back with that kind of language. They, they want you to push back. They want you to poke the bear. They want you to, they want you to do it because it just, it just makes them feel that, you know, that you're just like them. Right? And it just, it just feeds, it feeds into whatever they've got going on with them. And so then they can be uplifted and upgirded in, in whatever they're doing. Well, see, that's just, that's exactly what this person's doing. So I can just, I can just, I can take it to the next level. And I can take it to the next level. And I can use this word about that person, and that word about this person. And I can be derogatory and I can do that. And this and the other thing. But when we meet hatred with love, I'll be honest, it doesn't feel like we're moving anything forward. It's counterintuitive. If you were here last week with the, with the children, I had, them, I had them put their hands on each other's shoulders and had one sort of just give a little push. And I said, what do you want to do to the one who got pushed? And, and, that, and that one said, I want to push back. But when we go against our, our general nature of wanting to push back, we change the narrative. God changes the narrative in us. Not that we shouldn't defend ourselves at times, Right? I mean, there are times when we need to be like, hey, that's enough. But we don't have to hate. Use the language of hate. Use the language of division. It's a long game. The game of love. It's a long 
game, the game of love. And what's interesting about love is that when we hurt the people closest to us, it actually takes more love to bring them back into our good graces, if you want to say it that way, than for those that we don't really have much a relationship with. We treat the people that are closest to us worse than we often treat the people who are farther away from us. And so this kind of practice, not that your spouse or your family maybe is persecuting you, maybe you are, maybe, maybe you've got a bunch of crazy stuff going on. I don't know. But when we love those who are persecuting us, when we love those who we think are out to hurt us, we live into what it means to be the children of God. Because God is merciful. God is forgiveness. God is love. In the Gospel of Luke, when Luke writes this final sentence that we have in this passage, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect, Luke translates that, be merciful therefore as your heavenly Father is merciful. The practice of love is the most fundamental element in the Christian ethic. And when we love in this way, we don't let our enemies determine how we treat them. And someone once said, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And I pray that it bends toward love. May it be so in the name of Jesus, in our relationships, in our world, and in this country, and for you. Amen.